Ephesians, next piece of armour. Ephesians chapter 6 and the second half of verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Quite a topic, (laughs) the sword of the Spirit. And so we've looked at all the other items and now we're looking at the sword with which we can strike. All the armour to here has been what sort of armour? Defensive. This one is the only offensive piece of armour. The rest is to protect us. This is to wield, to use, to fight. Napoleon once said, the best form of defence is attack. (laughs) And um, surprise the enemy. And actually, as you look at Israel, that's how they've won the wars, even since they've become a nation in 1948. Surprise attack. How they, wrote, <coughs> how they wrote the Egyptian army off, bombed the planes and still on the tarmac yeah. and, and neutralised them. And so they had the air to themselves back there and the, the surprise aspect of it. So they, they realised this is true too. And in the Christian realm, it is true as well. <coughs> Neither principalities nor powers, nor rulers of the darkness of this world, nor wicked spirits, nor Satan himself can combat the sword of the Spirit. Do we have an occasion to say that statement would be true? Is there an occasion where the sword of the Spirit, the word of God was used on the devil? Yes. Yep. Each time he tried to twist the word, looked spiritual, but the Lord defended with the word and answered with the word. And Satan leaveth him. And angels came and ministered unto him. So it's the sword of the spirit that we need to learn to use. Who did, who did fencing at school? Anyone do some fencing? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> That's not offensive we're talking about. <laughs> I was as I was as naive as that when I went as a farm boy to the secondary boys' school and they said they're doing fencing. Oh good. I learned, I learned something I can use at home. <laughs> Get there and add swords. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Different sort of fencing. <clears throat> but um Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a dangerous-looking sport anyway. Do they have something on the end of it so you can't... They do, okay. You can't really, really jab the the fella, but in in a real battle, it's it's for real. You know, in a trench with a gun, you've sort of got a bit of protection behind sandbags, but how they used to fight, they used to charge each other with spears and swords and clubs. and (laughs) It was almost like certain death. This is it. Um, <clears throat> into the enemy's territory we go with the sword of the spirit with the de- offensive armament that we have as well <clears throat> let's turn to Ephes- I mean Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 there's some very pertinent verses that deal with the 
sword of the spirit. <coughs> the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of the joints and marrow as it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so <clears throat> the best answer to secular humanism is the sword of the spirit. The best answer to modernism and materialism is the sword of the spirit. The best answer for the direction in its, the church is taking in its liberal approach to things in its um, see if it works pragmatic approach if it works it must be right the best answer is to the sword of the, the sword of the spirit this is why we need to be exercised in the word because there's going to become or come your way plenty of opportunities if you get to talking to other people who don't believe what you do how can you defend what you believe from the word of God the sword of the Sword of the who? The spirit. Not ours, it's his sword. Um, Behavioural psychology, the best answer, is the word of God. And even some secular psychologists in in their behavioural psychology realise that they're not dealing with the problem. The problem is sin. They don't say that word. (laughs) Use that word on people, but they need to. Because the only way out of sin is confession, isn't it? And if you don't confess your sins, you can't be forgiven of your sins. And all the time that you're not forgiven, you have the guilt. And so the behaviour is not going to be right. Christians should be above that in that we go, as First John tells us, and confess our sins. Um, <clears throat> cults and false religions. What is the best way to defeat them? The sword of the... Spirit, the Word of God. Now we might feel in um, when we're talking to someone with what we're thinking, but the Word needs to be shared. And we have to pray that God does that. With an unsafe person, the Gospel, the Word needs to be shared. I am very pleased that God has left us with the Word of God. What else would we have to say We couldn't say, thus saith the Lord anymore, could we? If we didn't have the sword, the word of God. And to defend what we believe and to preach what we do. The devil is no match for the spirit and his sword. It's alive with authority. We wield the sword when we pray. Can can you pray verses of scripture? You can, can't you? What, What is what are some things you might pray today using scripture? Yeah, amen. <laughs> It'd be good, wouldn't it? For <laughs> relief. The Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's his will. <laughs> It's not willing, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And when you bring an unsaved soul before the Lord in prayer, you can say, Lord, you, this is your word. 
and, and put that challenge to him about some people that you've been praying for for a long time, earnestly, fervently and effectually. And there's those people that have walked off, who are Christians, and they've walked off into sin. You know, John said there's some things you don't pray for when they've gone deliberately, um, willfully against it. But there's not many things like that that we can pray for people as they walk away from the Lord and his word. And we can pray the Lord would bring them back. Uh, what's, a, what's a prayer we could use? Hebrews chapter 12, where there it talks about chastisement and, and the Lord chastising his children. Uh, not that we're something better than them. <laughs> maybe we should say, Lord, there's maybe some areas I haven't seen in my life. And, and, uh, and so let's pray the word of God <clears throat> as we wield the sword. Let's quote the word of God when we preach. Have you ever, ever heard a, a preacher <laughs> that has memorized so much scripture that most of what he says is the Bible? Just one thing after another. It's, it's interesting to hear and someone preach like that. And it just comes to him and he's just preaching. And not necessarily written down either because he's looking out. And so <clears throat> God's given him a, an ability to do that and to recall these, those things. The Spirit of God can use the Word of God in the preaching. And that's what convicts and converts sinners. <clears throat> One of the greatest sermons that was preached with a, a great response was Jonathan Edwards. And what was the title of the sermon? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And how did he, he do it? Did he do it like an evangelist and, you know, <laughs> and hit the roof? and <laughs> No, monotone, just, just, just talked it. But what was the difference? There was a spirit of the word, uh, using the word of God to convict, convict sinners. So in preaching, <clears throat> what about in testifying to unsaved people? Do you have to have the chapter and verse? Not necessarily. The word of God will come with a word and it'll just flow into the sentence that you're using. And the spirit can use that word to convict the heart of the individual. You see, it's the word of God. It's not our wisdom. It's his wisdom. By the, by the foolish things of this world, God convicts and converts those that think they're over and above that. <clears throat> Recite and testify the word as you test the, the word in your... Yes. Recite the word as you testify. <clears throat> Remember the word when you face temptation. This is a way of escape that the Bible talks about in Corinthians. When the temptation comes, recite the word. That's what the Lord did, didn't he? When tempted by the devil. And <clears throat> what effect did the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, have on material things back in the days of creation. God spoke. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let there be a man <laughs> from the dust of the ground. And there was a man with all the organs, <laughs> the ability to think with the brain, spirit within them that just you know and it, it happened like that <laughs> I wonder if it was like Adam woke out of a sleep or just ding. <laughs> light come on and the animals 
all the different creatures and all the fish of the sea God spoke the word you say the word of God is not powerful well it is it's almighty you know, in, the, in the long run when it all is stitched up when God speaks and it all goes out the, the, the rocks will obey him the, the, the worlds, the stars, everything just do what he wants with them <clears throat> we can look back there and we won't but Genesis 1, 3 1, 6, 1, 9, 1, 14 and through that creation week and see God said and out it come from nothing <clears throat> when the Lord Jesus was present on earth and there were problems with a dead person I mean he died <laughs> Lazarus come forth there's power in the word of God but we don't have that ability today that's God the Lord Jesus himself now Peter did raise that person from the dead but that's a authenticating sign in the early church he healed the sick he gave sight to the blind the lame to walk the dumb to speak with what? with his word with his word and so this is how powerful God's word is this is how important God's word is <clears throat> let's turn to keep that one marked and maybe we'll get another week in on the word of God but we might come back to Hebrews but turn to 2 Timothy 3.16 2 Timothy 3.16 <laughs> all scripture is given by inspiration of God how much of the Bible is given by God all scripture is given by inspiration of God how do we know that the Bible we have is what God wanted is it's the word of God how do we know that it's the word of God because he told us yeah but as we compare scripture with scripture and and some scripture will say about other scripture in the scriptures <laughs> and that's how we have the Bible and every book is authenticated by another book to be the scriptures it's just the word of God because if we're missing part of it we're in we're in trouble but we're not missing a part of it God's seen to it that we've got all that we have and pe people without concordances without computers <laughs> have been able to see the scripture look wow it says there in Paul that, that Peter wrote scripture Peter said Paul wrote scripture and it's all cross-referenced like that compare scripture with scripture tying it together but here all scriptures give me inspiration of God <clears throat> and first of all <laughs> it's given by inspiration is profitable for what the first thing is doctrine is doctrine it's interesting the doctrine comes first in the list of what scripture is important in teaching now scripture can, doctrine can be dry if we present it that way without the spirit moving in our hearts but I trust that you've had you at least have a book <laughs> I would say you wouldn't want any thinner than that to cover the doctrines 
of the scripture in your library somewhere. If you don't have one, I can suggest different ones. You can, you can get one like, like Rory's Doctrinal Studies as a little one, Survey of Bible Doctrine. It's a, I think we used it way back in one of our classes. And then there's these bigger one, about three times as thick. And then you can go to a whole volumes of them. And many writers have done the same thing where they've written volumes about doctrines, about the truth of the Word of God. But Scripture is important. Doctrine. doctrine. <clears throat> if you go back in Timothy, to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, and maybe do the exercise someday where you get your pencil and mark off, maybe colour code it, the words of Scripture. And just this one doctrine in just Timothy. Now, who was Paul talking to? Young man in the ministry. Timothy. What was he emphasising to Timothy? Doctrine. In verse 3, I beseech thee, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So there were some getting around teaching other doctrine than what they had already been given. Charge they don't. Verse 10 of the same chapter, whoremongers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. Hey, that tells us that we'll know how to behave if we know doctrine. And we won't know how to behave if we don't know doctrine. Because these people are all out of sorts with God's way. Because they have not sound doctrine. Go to chapter 4 and verse 6 of 1 Timothy. Well, chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from faith giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines demons devils Wow, doctrines of devils does, devils ha- does the devil have doctrine? yep does the army have doctrine? yep everybody, everybody what they believe, what they lay down this is what, this is what we're going to practice we have a belief uh, do evolutionists have doctrine? Yeah, they got their religion. They got their doctrine and teaching. And they're teaching it everywhere. As much as they can. <laughs> I'm just reading an article by John Ecob. You know how they say that the sea's going to rise by 1.2 metres in, in 100 years? And what he did, it's pretty easy to work out. In fact, you could probably do it where you see it on your phone. How many square kilometres of ocean are there? Not, yeah, square kilometres. Work out the size of the polar caps and say how much would have to melt. It would not only have to melt the ice, it would have to melt the rocks too <laughs> to bring it up that far. It would have to melt 100 feet deep, all of it, to put the oceans up there. In some places it's that deep, in other places it's not. <clears throat> and so, you know, deceivers are trying to just say, and we just say, oh, yeah, yeah, it must be true, they've said it. He's a scientist. No, <laughs> his doctrine's wrong. And the devil has doctrine, and he deceives people with it. Yep, they're not going to they're not going to break through, are they? Mm-hmm. No, no. 
for that to happen, the mountains would have to go down again. <laughs> and uh, the, the trenches in the sea would have to come be filled up. They're not going to, but move to verse 13 of chapter, no, verse 6 of chapter 4. If they'll be, if they put the brethren in remembrance of this, this is young Timothy, Paul said, if you do this, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of what? Good doctrine. What is missing in churches all around the world today is what? Doctrine. Teaching doctrine. And people can be deceived, we can be deceived if we don't know good, sound Bible doctrine. Verse 13, until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. Verse 16, take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing this, this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Good doctrine saves souls. <laughs> Sound doctrine. There's so many wishy-washy, unsound, satanic things getting around. Be careful what you listen to and give heed to. If you go over to chapter 5, this is just in First Timothy. They're also in Titus, I mean Second Timothy and Titus. <clears throat> Verse 1. Of First Timothy 6, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honour, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So upholding the doctrine, by living the doctrine, you're going to give a good testimony to the word of God, by living sound doctrine, and it won't be blasphemed. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So there's many, many scriptures, as you find here, where doctrine is said to be very important. And as I said, about as many in Second Timothy and about five in Titus, I believe. What was one of the last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples? Yes, it was directed at Peter, but the others were listening in. What is it that he said to them? Chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. The, the question was asked, Lovest thou me more than these? And the conclusion was, Feed my little lambs. Feed my sheep. Third time, feed my growing sheep. So feed them from little to big. <laughs> young to old. And how are we to do that? What does the Old Testament say? Lion upon lion and precept upon precept. Be consistent. Go through it. Teach the word to the people that are following. Feed the sheep. Why did Israel fall apart? Go to Ezekiel. Well, we haven't time, but time's up. But Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, there over and over again, the Lord said, you stopped feeding the sheep and you fed yourself. You're in for it. You're out of here. I'm not going to let you continue. And he wiped them out. And that was already one of the captivities that already happened because Ezekiel was up in, up in Babylon when this, he got these revelations. And he, he was getting revelations up there and the last captivity is still yet to take place. And because of their non-adherence to the truth of the word of God, the nation fell apart. And they think of their own strength, they'll keep it together now. No, they won't. <laughs> They've got to get the truth of who God is and who the Lord Jesus is, who the Messiah is. They've got false doctrine. 
he, you, you see them in them yeshiva, the yeshiva students, like just across from where Andrew is. What, you see 150 in those buildings they're renovated there? And they're there all day, studying the Bible with all their gear on, looking into the Bible and not getting it. <laughs> they haven't got the Spirit of God. It, it's so sad that they're so, so earnest about it, so sincere about it, but they're sincerely wrong. They haven't, and they don't want to know the Messiah. They haven't got the Spirit of God. Ah, when they get the Spirit of God, that will be different, won't it? <clears throat> but then the Lord said later in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to take it on myself to feed my sheep with my servant David when he's going to be restored to the, the kingdom's going to be restored, and I will feed them, and they won't be going everywhere. <clears throat> I remember years ago there was an independent Baptist church started down in, down in Melbourne. We had, I had to do with it a little bit. Jill had to do with it quite a bit. <clears throat> but what it was, it was great at getting out, the knocking on doors and getting people in. And people were professing to become Christians. But after about a year, they left. They left, often to, back into the world. And sometimes to other churches. Why were the sheep leaving that church? Because morning, night and even, they would preach the gospel, but not the tr truths, the doctrines of the word of God. The sheep were getting hungry. And they would go somewhere where the word was being preached and taught. That was good for another church, <laughs> that they'd get these people coming along, that they're able to teach and build up in them, build up in their most holy faith. From, from going to milk to meat, that was a blessing for them. So we'll just look at the first one. So that doctrine tells us what's right, doesn't it? The reproof tells us what's not right. For correction tells us how to get right and for instruction how to stay right. There's the four things we'll look at some of them next time.